everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Comics and Kaijus podcast. Joining me today is Austin Albin, the wonderful co-host that started with us on this last episode. I'm doing good today, my friend. I appreciate being back. I'm loving being a part of the crew. Here to talk today about another, well, I wouldn't say wonderful kaiju movie, but another awesome comic that we, that you picked out for us, which I got to give you all the credit on that. You pinpointed a solid story for us this go around. We're going to have to trudge through a bit of the murkier side of kaiju stuff today, which I'm not too mad about. Always enjoy revisiting some classics in the day, but I'm loving it, having fun, and I'm I'm excited to be back and ready for more, my man. For sure, for sure. And uh, I wanted to apologize to our viewers. Cameron's not joining us on this episode because he's busy with his uh, World War II reenactments that he's going on this weekend. So uh, he sends a lot of pictures. It looks like he's having a lot of fun doing that. So it'll just be me and Austin this week, guys. Hey, this this episode's for you, Cam. I know you're going to be listening to it, man. But we're gonna we're not gonna. <laughs> We're going to be doing it for you, man. Stay out there and be strong, and we'll be here when you get back. But you better bring your A-game when you come back, my man. Hell yeah. So uh, let's get into our Slice of Life segment, bro. What's been going on in your life? Oh, man, a lot. We uh, Down here in the South, we just had our fourth, count it, fourth hurricane come through uh, in 2020. You know, it's making sure that we remember this year very vividly, unfortunately. Uh, we just had to go through that big ordeal. Thankfully, my family and relatives are safe, uh, but I, I can't say the same for a lot of the other people in the Western regions of my state. And, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to them and hope that everyone is safe, that if they are listening, I do hope you and your families are safe and secure. Uh, I know that other than that, work has been going. Life has been moving forward. Just uh, trying to get better each and every day, man. Trying to evolve, better myself, and better those around me. So, so far, it's been, you know, things have been going well. How, how about yourself? How have things been going on your end of the world? Man, it's been rough. <laughs> but uh, I got four jobs now. Balancing all that out. Well, three jobs plus this. So, just keeping myself busy. Making money, trying to save up for a Harley. Actually, that's what I. That's what I really. Oh hell yeah! For yeah, trying to save up for a nice motorcycle. There we go. I, I'm. I'm not too. I. I know motorcycle. I know. I'm a bit of a bike guy. I, I know some. Some. You know, a little room, room here and there. So, got you. Got to let me know what. What you got your eye on? What you looking for? Well, my uncle has a uh, Harley Davidson Softail that I've been looking at and thinking about. Ooh. Thinking about pitching a couple offers his way. There you go. Got a connection with it as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Hope that works out for you, my friend. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, this week, or this episode, we tackled a bit of a uh, rough kaiju movie. And I'm going to go ahead and let Austin take the reins on this one. Thank you very much, and I appreciate getting the opportunity for it. Guys, today we are looking at Godzilla Raids again. Godzilla Raids Again came out a mere six months after the original unbelievable success of the 54 classic Gojira. It is, I mean, undoubtedly the definition of the word cash grab in the film industry. The movie technically was out in 1955. So if you're really wanting to be one of those very nitpicks that want to come in and talk about it, it technically came out in 55 on April 24th. 
But if you look at it statistical wise, it is a mere six months after the initial release of Gojira, which is insane to think that they were able to produce a movie within six months of it. Uh, Matoshi Oda came in and created this film. And a lot of people don't know, but Toshiro Honda was actually uncredited in directing this film. So I imagine he had some sort of, you know, his hand in this. But, man, I'd feel like his head would be spinning with how quick this movie was turned around, that he was just told, hey, we're making another one. And then they we already have it directed and wrote and everything. So what's your take on it? Uh, okay. <laughs> sure i'm still basking in the glow of this amazing film i created earlier so let me just <laughs> let me just say okay and rush go for it <laughs> yeah go for it just make it <laughs> but uh this was produced by tomoyuki tanaka uh you know godfather of the kaijus he, they, they knew what they were creating with it they had a lot of returning stars like takashi shimura who was from gojira we have a lot of returning stars like him and Hiroshi Kazumi and Haru Nakajima, who is, uh, you know, the, is Gojira. He is Godzilla. He is our main man. He is coming back, reprising his role in the suit and fighting his new, well, soon to be ally. But in this film, his adversary, Angiris, who uh, was first introduced in this film, who was created. He got his voice here, his visual, and is honestly remained throughout the years pretty, pretty much the same. He's been pretty linear as far as a character goes throughout the entirety of the Godzilla franchise. Uh, this movie is about as basic as can be. Uh, it's scored uh, by Masura Sato. They uh, they brought in uh, Sichi Endo to do the cinematography. And edited by Kaz, uh, Kazuchi Taira, which I know I'm probably butchering these names, so I do apologize in advance that these are probably a bit butchered because of my southern accent. I, I'm not very good at pronouncing yeah, names sure too well. But it it is a bit of a dredge to get through this movie, if I'm being honest. It is about an 81-minute dredge. It 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 takes some time bro, to come so through. To stay in this movie. Like, just it, it, watching it, bro. Ugh. It, it is. It's tough. It's hard to watch. Like, and and I had I was fine with watching the first Godzilla. So like I know it's not just because it's just a super old movie. Like it's it was just rough. Like everything just felt so rushed. Like <laughs> it, it really did. It if the the biggest problem, and I will say probably its biggest detriment in this film is more than likely its pacing. Uh, it really just can't find a foothold, and it it's noticeable. And you can tell the film is rushed. Like you said, it is a very rushed film. And the fact that, excuse me, the fact that it is a older film does not take away from its value. Godzilla Gojira, the original was in 1954 and it hit all the numbers. It, it hit bro. all the points. I'm pretty sure I gave it like an eight or a nine out of 10. Oh, absolutely. It's hard not to just, yeah. Not just from a kaiju standpoint, but from a film standpoint, it is truly a godfather of the film industry. Mm -hmm. It set bars beyond. It set bars as far as pacing, sending a message, special effects work for its time were best to none. It did a lot of things right, and to me, I've I don't want to say that Gojira was lightning in a bottle because I feel like they've made some good films since then, like the Return of Godzilla from nineteen eighty four slash eighty five was another stab at the you know making Godzilla send a message and be a bad guy again, which we will get to down the line. But it is 
I feel like Gojira was a starting point that set a bar for every film after it, even leading into nowadays that, you know, any kaiju fan has to look back at. It's hard not to when its success truly launched the genre itself. Godzilla raids again. I know they truly wanted to capture that lightning again, but I feel that the fact that it didn't get the same love and care and treatment that the first one did, that lightning didn't exactly hit the bottle. It hit the ground a couple of miles away. <laughs> Sadly, this was probably the weakest, arguably probably one of the top three weakest entries into the Kaiju, you know, uh, dictionary here for Godzilla. It's probably not one of his better outings. We we had a lot of potential though. A lot of like I said, returning oh, caster here. Especially with the monster versus monster theme. Exactly. Which that I think that was a good premise to go off of because I mean what do you, what do you do after you know God's Gojira seemed to be fairly cut and dry. It seemed, you know, that's it. There you go. The the antagonist was here. He existed. He went on his rampage, we learned a lesson, and then we got to watch the beast die in a honestly partially sad way. Like, you're glad the villain is dead, but at the same time, you feel a lot of sympathy. Mm -hmm. Here, what do you do? How do you bring back a once-dead enemy to, what, do you just do the same thing again? No, that can't do the same thing twice. Yeah. So they give him an antagonist, and that's when we're finally introduced to Angiris. Uh the, the movie basically starts with a simple premise of a fishing company having pilots fly over looking for schools of fish. We see him finding fish and relaying information back to their fishing company where they're starting to communicate and this, that, and the other. And they have a plane that has engine troubles and is forced to make an emergency landing on an island out at sea. Once it is landed, uh, his first, I want to just say why I, I noticed this watching it. But when our main character finds his partner on the on the island, he circles the island once and he, he points him out and he sees him like you can clearly see the plane in the water. You can see the pilot out on the shore, you know, waving his his coat and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm here. And then he flies over and he's like, oh, spots him. He makes the loop. And I'm like, OK, so he's going to land and go in and they're going to start the scene. Mm -hmm. He makes a complete secondary pass where they make the exact same pass with the exact same shot that adds an exact minute of extra time of doing the exact same thing. I'm like, why? Why? I thought I was I. I I thought like my video had started buffering or something and it, it jumped a second back or so. And I'm seeing the same shot twice, but it's literally the same shot twice. And that's just, that's you know, that's lazy. just, it's lazy. It's lazy. Yeah, and it pointless. really, it is, it's pointless filler that stacks onto this already elongated runtime that could have been chopped down. Mm -hmm. And that's just one of the many instances that I will get into later. That is just unbelievably unnecessary. And you're, you're wasting audience time. For no reason. You could have made the one shot, the one pass, bada bing, bada boom. Your pace is moving along instead of being, you know, moving forward and then dredging, then moving forward, then dredging all the way down. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, they land on the island. They start to communicate and, you know, they're talking to one another and they end up all of a sudden seeing Godzilla on this just random island out in the middle of nothing. They see Godzilla. 
and you know they start to freak out and then suddenly he gets attacked godzilla gets attacked from behind and starts battling Angiris. Uh, where we're first introduced to him, which Angiris, if for people who do not know who Angiris is, is more of like this, honestly, probably the most dinosaur-esque like kaiju that Godzilla either fights or is allied with. He actually just straight up looks like a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. So he is a uh, quadrupedic f- that sometimes will get up on his hind legs, spiked back, spiked head, and a spiky tail. Fairly straightforward kaiju. It's a simple design, s- nothing too crazy nothing too outlandish i think he's a solid design as far as a kaiju goes and he makes you know he makes good of what he's got we uh we see the two scrap and tuffle each other up which the fighting in this movie was you mean like awkwardly (laughs) bump into each other (laughs) okay i'm just saying and gears looked like he was going for the dicky and ball like every fight like he's going for godzilla he's going for the hog Every time, and Godzilla like the whole time is like, "Yo, no, 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 no!" It's like, oh, "I'm gonna get it, no, 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 no!" And backs him off, and it's just they just slam at each other like so much. It it almost looks like a guy has his dog, it like has like a rope toy between his mouth. He's just shaking it around the whole time, and everyone's just vibrating. It's it's a very odd, it's very awkward fighting so, sequences for me. Like it, whenever I was watching that, it just felt like. You know, I was a kid again, and I was just playing with my action figures, but I was, like, so young that I didn't know how to make them fight and look cool, so I just mashed them together a bunch of times, and then had one. (laughs) Absolutely. It felt that way, for sure. We did. (laughs) So, after we see this scuffle happen, they finally somehow get pushed, they fall into the ocean and just disappear. Our two ca- our two main characters now are back into their planes and flying back to Japan. Uh, and when they well, they're not in Japan. I think they're in uh, Osaka, I think, is where they're located or Okinawa. They they get there and they tell everyone, you know, Godzilla's alive. He, there's another Godzilla and there's there's another thing. And that's when they discover that Godzilla's new adversary is Angiris and they uh they actually had a cool moment where they had uh Takashi Shimura come in and they, that's where his his only portion of this movie he is he's here and he's pretty much here to just kind of rehash and retell the terrors of Gojira and what he is capable of cuz they 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 look to this man and say you know hey how do how do we stop him what are some preventative measures we can do to get rid of Godzilla and they he basically just says there is nothing you can do you are absolutely boned unless you guys have come up with some sort of magical ability to get him to go away Mm -hmm. uh they show some footage some uh, snap footage of gojira on like a projector to kind of which one i don't know how they would even remotely get some of those shots without the cameraman just dying but you know what we all know (laughs) it's just from the film but we uh we get some really cool you know reminders of gojira and he just basically says there's nothing you can do uh, but now we get told that Godzilla is attracted to light, which was something that, yeah, it is quite you know, really interesting concept to just throw in there. It was because it never got touched on again. This is the only film where Godzilla legitimately was attracted to light. And that's it. There's been no other reason. Other than if you were to look at Godzilla 1985, where he was attracted to birds, this one was just, oh, he just randomly attracts to light. Okay, so he's a moth. Well, you know, sure. Why? Why not? Let's let's just go with moth, it. <laughs> if you will. 
Oh, 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 there we go. But he gets, we get moving forward. They say he's attracted to light. So all of the town is told, you know, a full blackout is required. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. You know, that's the, the smart thing to do. In the population. Yeah, exactly. You know, smart maneuver. Well, they end up doing the full blackout and they, they lose track of him for a while. And then, boom, he's like right off the coastline, getting closer and everyone freaks out. They start blacking out the town. Mm-hmm. All the lights go out. Everyone's trying to return to a safety area. And they end up just this random. I, I guess they needed a way to move things forward so they couldn't come up with another way. So they're like, hey, let's make this just random prisoner transport. Suddenly have the prisoners decide they want to break out. Like right here, right now, in this instance, they want to get out. Okay, uh, sure. Of course. The the plot demands a reason for Godzilla to be on shore. Well, why don't we give him a reason? No, we are going to use this reason that is a blatant plot device. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they, they these prisoners. Yeah, yeah. Oh, two months from now. All right. <laughs> so so how long have we been working on this? A month. When's it due? Four. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> so what they end up doing is these prisoners plan a breakout. They uh, the guard, they end up uh, one of the prisoners stands up. The guard goes to stop him and all the prisoners jump the guard in the backseat of the prison van. They take their weapons, they break out and they start running throughout the town trying to escape. And some of them are captured, but some of them get away. And some of them end up getting into like this uh, tanker truck almost kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So they start they start driving and, you know, the cops are chasing them. And by the way, this whole sequence from like the minute they get the truck to the minute that truck inevitably crashes, it explodes, uh, explodes. <laughs> Not a single damn word is said. Oh. Like It is like almost like a 10 to 15 minute stretch of nothing. Just loud ass siren, car noises and nothing. I I that is one thing I'm going to go ahead and point this out now and take this bullet point here. This script, this script for this film had to have been like 20 pages at most. There is very little to no dialogue in this film and even at the all. That's in there like a lot of it's useless. Like they could it is. It out and had And it's very it. short. It's <laughs> short quick little rapid fire quotes. And then- Nothing else. Yeah. They have all their talking at the beginning about Godzilla and Gears, all the threats and all the things that can happen. And then the rest of the film is just nothing. And then in the later portion of the film, later portion of the film that I'm going to be getting into, they talk a little bit more. But it's just little like five to six letter sentences, you know, just five to six word sentences back, bam, 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 nothing else. And it's irrelevant stuff. It. I don't know how they wrote this script and thought this was okay to put out. But I mean, I guess when you're on a six month time frame and you're told, Hey, get me this film, you know, you take it's what you can get. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I would even say that it wasn't even good in my, opinion. Oh no, I, no, I, I can't. When we get to our final labeling of this film, I will guarantee you that you will not be seeing a good review Definitely at the end not. of this for me Definitely it's just it's impossible it was so difficult to trudge through absolutely i want to give it a good like rating because the special effects were really nice you know for its time of course very absolutely it's just the script and everything else like uh, it does not have a lot going for it the, the fight scenes don't even feel like they were choreographed like like i said bro it felt like i was a kid again and i was just mashing two action figures together and calling it a fight scene 
Oh yeah, it, it very much. It just it felt cheap. It Gojira did not feel cheap. Gojira no. felt like a feature film. Mm-hmm. And this, it felt like, like what it was. Grab, just to it did catch on the I, fucking fame. It, it did, and honestly, I really put it all like into the definition. You say someone's like, "Hey, what is a cash grab?" Honestly, Godzilla raids again is the definition of the word cash grab. Yeah. They're just like truly is exhibit a <laughs> exactly. So we get to the portion. Like I said, they steal the tanker truck. And like I just said, they end up crashing into, I guess this plant, like a, a, a an oil plant or a refinery of some shape or form. And that some bitch explodes. I mean, the truck, I would just want to also point out, I, I think what happens is they had the, the miniature truck just lay up on these, these things. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it ran. It looks like some piping. And then they just like, they cut it mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, go put a shit ton of M eighties underneath it, light the fuse, run back. And then we're going to just film it detonate. Okay, dude. Like I could have done that in my backyard. That <laughs> it just looked, it looked bad. <laughs> it looked bad, but everything blew up. The fire started, and of course, you know Godzilla goes from like, "Oh, look at the pretty flares," to, "Damn." The crew's just like, "How many takes are we, you know, doing this out of?" And they're like, "Well, we only had time to build one version of this little plant, so." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> roll and put as much explosives in it as we can do we have any more gasoline for accelerant <laughs> so they uh they call the fire department we don't have time for that <laughs> deadline's in 20 minutes <laughs> what do you mean what is osha that's not a thing what's the fu- what do you mean fire marshal they don't care <laughs> so move the, the fire now <laughs> just put water on it or just be like Mothra and go under the water, and then there's no fire. Easy. <laughs> so th- this plant has now detonated. Godzilla is now turned back around, and he's coming on land. And then uh, the flares inevitably drew Anguirus there for apparently. Now he's attracted to light. They're all just so like, now. Like, <laughs> they're all just moths. Yeah, they're all just, moths. They're all moths. <laughs> Wait, it's moths. <laughs> Always has been. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving into the fighting now, they finally get these creatures onto land. We're finally getting another kaiju fight scene. Like this is as cookie cutter kaiju fighting as you possibly could get. Um, With two taking smashing. <laughs> yeah, not look. I am not taking anything away from Mr. Haru, aka Mr. Godzilla himself. Yeah. That man knew how to make Godzilla be Godzilla. I think if they would have changed their editing style, I think it would have been different because right. the biggest. Just, if they would have just doubled their time frame, just one year. I think so. I think absolutely. I think if they would have had time movie, to take, but it would have been so much better. It would have been better than what was given to us for sure. Especially during this fight scene here, the biggest thing that bothers me, and it was the biggest thing that irked me, was that I don't know whose decision it was. I really don't know whose decision it was to make it to where when we have these two behemoths fighting one another in this city, they decided to speed up the camera feed of them fighting. So it makes their movements not only just look normal, but it makes them look like they're going comically too fast for what their sizes should be. 
Thus, you're losing what we saw him like what what speed we saw him moving in the first movie. Like oh, absolutely slow. So to see him go fast, it it didn't make any sense to me. No, and you lose your sense of scale. Like Godzilla is this gigantic, you know, I think sixty-five or seventy-meter giant. But we're seeing him move at speeds that you or I would be able to easily achieve with just simply walking around. Mm -hmm. And that's just that you lose that sense of depth. You lose that sense of scale. And it just it flattens everything out. And Gojira made him move the best. It made him feel like this behemoth. It made him feel like a threat and truly made you feel a sense of size. And I will always have a love for these older films because of the whole black and white and stuff along those right. lines. It makes it, it it's aesthetically unbelievably pleasing. And it really does give you a sense of fear because it's like, what if this did happen in some alternate world of reality? And it just, the old film just makes it feel like a documentary more than it does a, a, a fictional film. Yeah, exactly. So we get to these two fighting Godzilla inevitably kills Anguirus in the scuffle. Oh, he ends up the way he killed him. How he just oh he just yeah, him and then just got him with that atomic breath. Oh, amazing! It was so nice. It was. I will say that's one of the high points of this film. Was Godzilla gets a bit. He gets a bit dirty. He gets him on the back of the neck and just yeah, he gnaws on that spine. And just bites into the back of his neck and just tosses him into that like ravine and just lights him up, roasts him right then and there. It was a very satisfying kill and a very nice way to kind of make Godzilla be like, yeah, I, I win, bud. I'm the better guy here. So it, it was impressive. And I I was impressed by it for sure. So after he kills Anguirus, honestly, I think this is where the movie, the dredging really starts to kick in mm -hmm. because you're like, well, now the main issue is dead. The main problem has been, you know, <laughs> resolved. Yeah. yeah, like this, we're done. So what, what? What else is there? It just, it just makes you think. Okay, well now what? Mm -hmm. Well now, it, we suddenly cut to Christmas, like winter. It's starting to snow for. I, I don't, I don't know why the time gap, but it just, it is. Godzilla is apparently just vibing out on this island, and they're just thinking, okay, well we need to deal with that. So they fly out. They make this just this grand scheme that we're going to bury Godzilla in the ice. We're going to bury him in the iceberg and he will no longer be a threat. Well, their first attempt wasn't exactly the best. Uh, one of our main characters decides to sacrifice himself and fly into the mountain to hit the ice, pull the ice down onto Godzilla. And it just it doesn't bury him completely, but it buries him a decent amount to slow him down to the point of where it can give the Japanese military time to mobilize an actual plan to fully bury him in ice. So I guess in a way his sacrifice wasn't completely in vain, but it was, a, I, I think a bit unnecessary, but you know, I, I honestly, this film really didn't give me time to form any sort of emotional ties to any of these characters at all. So seeing them die or do anything heroic was about as flat as a piece of paper, mm -hmm. uh, sadly. But that's also on to this movie's main issue of pacing. It really suffers from it. And you couldn't and the, to anybody. Yeah. And the characters suffer from it as well, which is honestly fairly sad. Mm -hmm. Um. 
So the Japanese military form a plan to where they are going to make these oil drums light up in front of Godzilla. It's going to light up and be, uh, you know, super bright. So he'll be fixated on it. And then they're going to launch missiles from fighter jets onto the mountainside. And then the ice will eventually bury him, which long story short, it does. They lose a couple fighters and the missiles are slowly hitting the mountain and it's just slowly getting higher and higher and higher to the point of where Godzilla can't do anything. And as a last act of defiance and anger, he gets buried under the ice while shooting his atomic breath out with his last breath and then covered in ice and presumably subdued slash killed. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially where we end on Godzilla raids again. It stops then and there. Mm-hmm. So another point I want to think I want to look at is the suit that we get in Godzilla raids again is not the same suit from Gojira. It is not the same creature. The The neck is somehow elongated mm. for reasons. His face is wider and has more of a, like, almost like a frog look to his face. He yeah. looks very odd. The, uh, the puppet is different for the close-up shots, which is blatantly noticeable. And it's just, it's not a good look for him. It's creepy as all hell, which I'm not going to deny that. But... Godzilla Raids, again, is definitely on the lower end tier list as far as my uh, my favorite Goji suits. He's definitely one of my very low, low tiers. Um, but getting it to the end of it and wrapping up Godzilla Raids again here, the budget for this film was about a million yen, which in USD is about 800,000. And that is for that time frame. Uh Probably nowadays, you know, that'd be a lot more, you know, due to inflation. But back then, you know, that's about right for those kind of films. And that's a very small budget for the film. And considering that its box office taken was 170 mil, 170 million yen, it definitely made its money back tenfold. So unfortunately, as I hate to say it, it being a cash grab, it actually grabbed the cash it was searching for and made its money back quite a bit. So money back and then a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say it it did it did a good job making its money back, and I, I can't deny that it I can't deny that it didn't. It truly did, and I hate to say it, but it is what it is. It made its money back. It was garbage, but it it was it was very financially good garbage. <laughs> so I gotta ask. Who? What was your favorite scene? What? What? If I know that's hard to say, with this film being what it was, you gotta at least give me some highlight. What is that one thing that you can at least take away from this film? Uh, other than the steaming pile of shit that it was, uh, like, like I said, probably my favorite scene was just when Godzilla finally beat Anguirus and he just like threw him down and he did the atomic breath. It was just so savage. Oh yeah. I'm honestly going to have to agree with you on that for me as well. That was a, it was a really cool scene. It was getting to see Godzilla be really brutal and really aggressive for Mm -hmm. once. We we never really get to see him be that aggressive again for a while because we get to go into the era of him being a little more of an anti-hero kind of phase. So we get to see him be brutal. We get to see him be aggressive and getting to really destroy, you know, and be that menace that he is. Um, what about characters? Like I said, I know we really didn't get to attach ourselves to anybody. I 
Bro, hey, I, I'm not like a favorite character. If I'd have to choose, it'd be between Anguirus and Godzilla, just because of the lack of like yeah. character development in this in this movie. I, I honestly would just say I would like to just say my favorite character would probably just be Mr. Haru re- reprising his role as Gojira again, because honestly, the characters we got here were so just paper thin and unable to really form any sort of attachment. It really makes it hard to narrow down a favorite character for sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to say, as far as special effects, the special sets effects that we got... They were for their time, once again, being in 55 for the budget and what they had. I got to say this artillery hitting Godzilla. And you could see like now looking back, you could totally see that it's on a different layer. Oh, for sure. It's very noticeably not actually impacting him, but it it still had some really solid special effects. For sure. I I think the set pieces were very good. I think they had some good... uh, some good uh, special effects work with the military, with the with the uh, the building destructions, especially with like the ice landfalls and Godzilla getting buried. I think they had they had some good high points. Uh, I, I don't I don't think they really missed a beat from Gojira. They they kept the special effects as good as they could. I, I wish that the suit could have been reestablished and been something a little different. But mm-hmm. I understand they had a different vision for this Godzilla, which is understandable. Um as far as acting goes, I think we've both said our fair share of how much we have a <laughs> very high distaste for the actors and the acting in this film. It's not even just the actor's skill. It was just the script that they were given. Like, I feel like these actors independently probably could have done so much better with a better script. Oh, I feel so. I, I definitely, especially, especially like some of the returning characters <laughs> from the first one or returning actors from the first one. Exactly. They, I mean, you were right. These these are not just returning actors, but they're also reprising the same characters. Mm-hmm. And these characters getting reprised, it's like they're a shell of their former selves from a mere six months ago. Exactly. Which is, it's just sad to see that. You really hate to see it be that way. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. And they're they're ha- like you said, they, they were given a script and told, here, you do this. And they, I imagine they probably had a lot of... You know, I don't know, man. My character really doesn't seem like they would do this. Do you want your paycheck at the end of it? Yes, I do. Well, then you're going to do it. So (laughs) sadly, they were forced into what they had to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as the soundtrack goes, I mean, it's 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 Masarasato. He knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's made some amazing scores throughout the Kaiju world. Enough said. (laughs) Really, it just it's solid. You can't beat it. The score is wonderful. And uh, I will say as far as soundtrack and sounding goes, I know that my first one of my older viewings of this film, especially back in the VHS days of Godzilla Raids again, uh, one of the sounds that was one thing that bothered me so badly when I was younger and even when I grew up rewatching this film, uh, they actually had Anguirus's roar for uh, for Godzilla and Godzilla's roar was were swapped. They were swapped and they were like that for a very, very long time. And this recent reviewing that I did was off of HBO Max, which is pulling from the Criterion set, and which is the newest and most up to date set of the older Godzilla Showa films. And they actually have the roars in their, you know, for their proper kaiju, which I will say, hey, Cameron, shout out to you and me talking about that. Not too long ago, and me and him actually were discussing about how that was one of our biggest gripes about this film, and it made it to where it was almost unbearable to watch. 
glad to see that they actually took time to go in and edit those back over and make it to the proper sound bites. So shout out to Criterion for being able to make that a little more, you know, continuity friendly and making things proper. Oh, yeah, because you know, um, there's a lot of companies that would have just been like, all right, copy, paste, send. Like, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And then that's it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you got to also remember that a lot of these companies, they get paid to do this for sets, mm-hmm. uh, especially like for big box sets. They have to go through each individual one of these films and, you know, either re-highlight things or bring lights in or bring lights out or change sound bites and change visuals and cut and paste and all this other stuff. It's a lot of work to go into it. Mm-hmm. And Criterion, uh, you know, they do have their faults, but I will say this is one of the things that they did right. Mm-hmm. And speaking of sets, I know TJ is going to be listening. I'm still mad about Shout Factory and ruining some of the Friday the 13th box <laughs> set that they did. So I'm not saying that the people who make box sets are, are saints here. There's definitely people out there who make their mistakes. But what I say is that if they can willingly admit their mistakes and come back in and fix whatever is wrong and they will willingly make it better. Hey, I say that's a good that's a good company to work with. So. Criterion, shout out to you guys for fixing that and making this film a bit more bearable to go through. Oh, yeah. So uh, I I can also say the cinematography wise, it had some pretty solid shots for flying. Uh, I give it some credit there. Mm -hmm. It's got some pretty solid flying shots over the water and stuff like that. And the, you know, the opening military scene was pretty good. Mm -hmm. But other than that, cinematography, honestly, it didn't do anything to blow me away. Like not like Mothra. Like, like when we watched Mothra, the highlight of this movie was the special effects. Like that was the best yeah. part about this movie. That was the only part of this movie that wasn't a steaming pile of shit. In my opinion. Yeah. No, I agree. I, it's just, it's, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. It's rough. The film isn't honestly a rough one to go through. Mm-hmm. So since we're getting onto this subject on how rough it was, we got to get our final thoughts in here. Let's get this bad boy rated on a scale of one to 10. Please don't butcher her too bad. She is only a six-month project baby here, so we got to make sure we give her a little bit of leeway. We are going to take fact that it is a six-month movie. But at the same time, bro, that's their fault because they want to cash grab. There is no one else's fault here but theirs wanting money. And when I say their fault, I mean the production company. Like, the director, they're just given a deadline. I understand that. I mean, the fucking corporate overlords, they were just like, hey, this this movie made money another gimme gimme like hey this movie was really good throws cup on the ground another (laughs) (laughs) puts hand out points in it uh (laughs) like the that meme painting it's just like well well, come on (laughs) it's like oh man we just made it another (laughs) just has a thor moment and just grabs gojira the film smashes it on the ground i like this another (laughs) i like this movie another So what you what you hitting it with, my man? What what we Bro, giving her? With the fucking low ball, that shit was a three out of ten. That's honestly, I'm not mad at that. That's that I think honestly, it's it's, it's fair. A one to a three is the cinema or not the cinematography, the soundtrack and the special effects. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it would be I, a straight up one. Yep. Uh, I I'm gonna honestly, I'm gonna be just a, a, a smidge bit kinder because I have a soft spot for Godzilla, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna say hitting it with a four. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm I'm a slut and I'm proud. It's, we'll give it about a four. I I'll say the only thing, re, like you said, the main thing that will give it any sort of credibility or leeway in this argument is the fact that 
the special effects once again still for its time they they hold their weight they do wonderful it was the first real time we get to see godzilla actually do what the rest of his films essentially you know ride off of which is kaiju v kaiju fighting Mm -hmm. and getting to see some of the older act the actors from the first film reprising roles and getting some good soundtrack four out of ten is honestly being generous and i will give it I'll give it a four out of ten and call it a day. Stamp it, send it. We're done. Still gotta send it anyway. God, am I glad to be out of that steaming pile? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, it, was hard I'm to even, it was hard to even keep an optimistic mood with how bad that movie was. It was. I was. I was honestly falling asleep a lot of the times watching that. Bro, I swear to God, it was hard to stay awake. <laughs> it, it was it was tough uh anyway but now but now that we're out of that you know dredge give let, man i gotta throw it over to you we're gonna smooth yeah. transition right into my bread and motherfucking butter this, give me that sandwich boy i'm gonna make it bro so uh on this episode we touched on an amazing comic like austin said i chose a really really good one and honestly i've been kind of wanting to do this one for a while just because I, I really like, I really like it when you know two heroes, and I say heroes, I know the Punisher's an anti-hero. I'm not trying to say is, but I just mean like two heroes kind of battle it out because at the end of the day, they both have morally good, just ethics and morals about them. You know, it's just they go about it two separate ways, and that's what makes Punisher an anti-hero versus Daredevil being a hero. And that brings us into the comic that we did, which is Daredevil versus Punisher means an end. We are going to cover the entire storyline of this, uh, but this time we're dividing it into two parts because it's kind of a big boy. And I want uh, to get some feedback from Cameron about this, too, because I feel like he would love it. And uh, so we divided it into two. So we did issues one through three, which is about 74, 75 pages total. Uh, it was written and drawn by David Lapham. Which, my God. <laughs> Shout out to the double duty work, my double man. Double duty work. Not only that, but like it also just shows that there was no difference between what the dude had in mind when he wrote the idea in the script and what was actually drawn. So you know that it was 100% accurate to what he wanted as the source for this character. And for me, I've always liked Daredevil. Like... I remember growing up, bro, I had Daredevil with uh, Ben Affleck, and that was like one of my favorite movies. You know, say what you will about <laughs> it. Say what you will about it, but that was one of my favorite movies growing up, bro. I could watch that on repeat. <laughs> hey, that that film, honestly, I know a lot of people hated it. It was, I, I remember seeing that with my, I used to go stay mm-hmm. at my cousin's house for the summer, every every summer growing up as a kid. And I remember we went to the movie store that that uh that earlier that's that day to go pick out a movie and we saw daredevil and it was funny enough we me and him i had this this big dictionary it was an encyclopedia of spider-man mm-hmm. and there was this whole section about daredevil and i was like man let's write our own comic and so we started he's he's really good at illustrating so he was sitting there drawing daredevil and i'm writing up how daredevil would fight the prowler Mm-hmm. And we're sitting here writing this really cool synopsis about it and all that. And we we were on this Daredevil hype train. And then we see a Daredevil movie. And we were just like, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? Let's watch it. We watched it and we loved it. <laughs> I remember having the Daredevil action figure 
from that movie. I had him oh bullseye. I loved it. And I had it for so long mm-hmm. and watching it now again, when I'm older, I'm just like, man, this movie was a hot mess for the time. But then I'm like, but it's a good hot mess. Oh no, it was, it was amazing, bro. I loved it. And hey, shout out to that. Like early two thousands rock soundtrack though. Uh, Shit. Slapped. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Did you just insult me by just calling it early 2000s rock and not knowing who the fuck Evanescence is? I know who Evanescence is. Have you you heard the whole soundtrack, though? It's so grungy. Well, I mean, it's all, you know, depressing scene music, but yeah. (laughs) It's depressing scene music, bro. (laughs) I say that knowing that on my phone, on my chill playlist, I have two of the songs from that soundtrack on there. Just saying, you can you can say I'm a bit of a <clears throat> connoisseur. <laughs> connoisseur. <laughs> so, you take that character and you take the other character, which is also an amazing character, Frank Castle being the Punisher. You know, another movie that I grew up loving was Thomas Jane's Punisher movie. Oh yeah, John Travolta. John Travolta was the main bad guy, and bro, I just loved it. Like. You know, when I first watched it, I didn't know the Punisher was like a hero or whatever. So the very first time I watched it, because I was really young, like forgive you. And for not being like just all about this stuff. But young me, whenever he saw. Hey, you there, my friend come across. Did you lose me? I think we might be running into a bit of a mic difficulty here for mic difficulty for our old quarter J. Oh, Matt. Can you hear me now? No worries. We'll we'll get we'll get our friend here back up and running in just a few moments. But uh, we we the the film is uh, the the comic we were looking at here was. Can you hear me? Honestly, probably a, a solid pick, an unbelievable pick by our friend. Jay did an incredible right, job. Hey, you back, my friend? Yeah, uh, I could still hear you the entire time, but like I don't know why my audio cut out. That was so weird. No worries. We keeping the ball rolling here. Take out back where you were coming from, man. Yeah, I got you. I was just talking about the Thomas Jane movie with Punisher and all that and how like growing up, I didn't know that that was like a superhero movie the first time I watched it. So like whenever that Marvel Studios spread came across, it just it blew me away. I was like, oh, my God, am I going to see Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I was culture shocked as shit to see John Travolta be like this evil condescending you know con man that he was oh this mob boss didn't watch swordfish with hugh jack the, the last movie i had saw with john travolta before i saw that one when i was younger was him in greece oh my god I, so i'm thinking like oh he's gonna be like grease lightning and he's just like no murder my wife never, have, have you have you never seen the movie swordfish no, I've seen the movie Swordfish. I was like, At that specific time, when I first saw Daredevil, I was like, oh, it's John Travolta. It's Grease Lightning. And then he kills his wife. And I'm like, this is not Grease Lightning. <laughs> Arguably, it still is, if you know the theory about him killing that girl at the end. But true. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just grew up with both of these characters, really liked them at a young age. And like I said, I didn't know Punisher was like, you know, Marvel Comics the first time I watched it because young me was just naive. Anyway. True. (laughs) But back to the comic, this one was so good. It was just great. It starts off, uh, the opening panel is just 
Punisher monologuing about the city and how like he believes that there's truly no good people left, like no pure good people left. And that this city's just like I, th- I think he even said it was like a cesspool and stuff like that. That even if you do have like any good moral fibers about you, it gets corrupted by the city itself. You know. True. Did you ever play the video game that was associated with that film? Uh, the Punisher. Yes. No, I never played the video game. Oh my god. Was it good? You missed- oh my god, was it good? I was like, hold on, I I have to quick search that. When did that come out? <laughs> because I played that on my PlayStation 2. 2004, okay? Oh my god. 2004. Hold on, how old was I, I in 2004? See the graphics right now like <laughs> Okay, look, let me put it to you like this. My favorite gun was the pump action shotgun, mm-hmm. strictly because you would shoot somebody with it. They would ragdoll flip 30 feet across the room. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it was just the, cra- <laughs> it was the greatest thing. And then you could enter this like blood rage mode mm-hmm. where you just put your guns down. You pull out two big ass Bowie knives and you take no damage and you just start murking people Jesus left and Christ. right. And my favorite was you just walk up to somebody, grab them by the shoulder and punch their head off. So oh it's just God. like, I think I need to search on eBay real quick. It's like, I like you cut G. It was a it was such a blast, but I played this game so much as a kid. It was so much fun, and it was unbelievably bad for me to be playing as a kid. But it uh it was a direct. They didn't. They it wasn't like a direct lineage from it. But this game came out that I think the same year that that movie came out. So it was like they wanted it to be a correlation between the two, but it. It really isn't. It was still great, though. It was a fun game that correlates with the film. Mm-hmm. And it, oh, my God, it's just like to me, that was a, a wonderful time to be a Punisher fan. And then we mm-hmm. sadly just went on this long tangent of just well, hearing they made a sequel, absolutely nothing. They didn't have Thomas Jane playing the Punisher in the sequel. They like just swapped the character and thought that nobody would notice or the actor. might. Have. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm not the biggest fan of Warzone, but it's got some pretty juicy moments in it. I mean, yeah, but uh, anyway. I mean, he he, pun- he he punches a guy's face in, so yeah. <laughs> Another, I like your cut, G, and I mean, he pretty much does it. Well, like I said, just, I like your cut, G, than the Taco Bell Dean. Just <laughs> so I I was correct. It was uh, the film came out in 2004, mm-hmm. and then the game came out in 2004. So yeah, okay. So they're just like, hey, copy my homework, but like change it up a little Don't bit. Don't make it exact. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. They're like, all right. Bet. So Bet. Uh, back to the comic. <laughs> <laughs> and mind you, this I've I love the crossovers for like superheroes and stuff, like most people probably do. Like I just love it when the you know different characters interact with each other, knowing that they have their own stories and lives going on. And uh, at the beginning, uh, we're seeing New York post-Kingpin takedown. So Kingpin and Bullseye are both taken down there in prison at the start of the story. Um, Where we got to, which is issue three, uh, they had just escaped prison. But most of the story that we're going to be talking about today is with them in prison and basically how Hammerhead and some of the others are trying to fill in the void left by Kingpin. Like... They just need a new top dog. 
It was Hammer. It was Hammerhead and Jackal, correct? Yeah, Hammerhead, Jackal, and the Professor. Yeah. And it was just really interesting. Like right off the bat, like you see Punisher, uh, like chilling in this warehouse window, dude dead, like a couple feet away from him, and he's just aiming a sniper right at the back of Hammerhead's neck. And the next panel is just daredevil flexing on him by throwing his baton and making it bounce off like 40 different surfaces before it hits him <laughs> yeah he it, didn't it, have to he could have just right to the back of the head and just thrown that thing. like we were discussing <laughs> earlier about this comic this whole story so <laughs> it, daredevil is literally the definition of just extra. You, <laughs> he's extra as shit through this entire yeah, story like, that whole situation like you said he could have just walked up and knocked it away or threw it directly at him or he could have done something to distract him to where he wouldn't have done that but no i'm gonna knock it off of four different surfaces make you dodge it and then punch you in the teeth it's like okay man next time just kick me in the back of the head and we'll call it squaresies yeah (laughs) i did enjoy uh i really did enjoy watching uh well not watching but reading how uh the interaction between the two especially with like the monologues between each one yeah, of their heads the uh, like split up and stuff exactly uh yeah. matt murdoch is daredevil you can tell like he's wanting justice he's wanting truth he's wanting to make sure things are proper and done by the law and exactly. you know but that's just that's the lawyer in him and matt having that internal struggle yeah, to want to make things like right Exactly. And then we get Frank's version coming in talking and when we so get Frank's like monologue, it's and he's letting him go. And, and it's a says, band-aid fix. And like Punisher fully admits he's like, I would never kill Daredevil. He's like, I'm not going oh, to yeah. kill Daredevil. He's just he's just a young boy, you know, there's still so much that the world is gonna throw at him and stuff like that. You know, you almost you almost get the feeling that he kind of feels bad for Daredevil because he thinks that Daredevil is just so naive, you know? Yeah, because like he calls he, him, th- he calls him a boy. He calls him a fool repeatedly, you know, stuff like that. And that that coming from the Punisher just sounds like something that he would say to somebody that he's like sympathetic with. Exactly. We we as we get going through this comic after that whole situation happened, we get to that whole bar scene where he goes to that diner. Oh, and I yeah. thought that was a very interesting. No, uh, so interesting because like. You got to see, like, the way New York kind of interacted with him, knowing who he is. They were just like, hey, keep this to cover your face. Like, even the girl, like, the waitress that was helping him, she, like, blocked the view and was like, hey, just keep that man mm-hmm. across your face. Just stay up. After seeing his gun, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he she knew that, like, you know, it could potentially get her father killed because her father was getting shaked, you know, getting shook down by um, mob hands. Mm-hmm. And he was about to be like, you know, hey, I'm gonna stop this right now. She's like, please don't. You know, I don't I don't want my father to die. And, you know, he ends up having like, oh, she looks like my my wife. And it's kind of have that little sad moment of him, you know, having some sort of recollection of his family, which, you know, that's just bound to come into play at some point in any sort of Punisher comic. But not that being besides the point, he uh, he ends up going after them anyway, like, you know, Frank would any anyway. So exactly. especially after, you know, hearing what the kid had to say. Yeah, but it was also interesting to have that kid be a dynamic in this as well as he started like he followed Frank to that mm-hmm. to that whole shakedown. Mm-hmm. And man, that was such a cool scene where yeah, Frank's just like, sitting in there. Just like, like, Is Hector Nino here? And they were like. Yeah, 
And we know who you are. We got, you know, we heard about you got like a million dollar bounty on your head. And, and there's like, like dude, there's like what, 20 dude, like 20 dudes in that room. And he was just like, he was just like, you know, that, uh, that girl over there that you guys, you know, grabbed and you beat up her father and her, her brother and shit like that. And they were like, yeah, what's it to you? He's just like, I just wanted you guys to know why I'm doing this. And it cuts to the kid outside watching. And all you see is the bam, 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 and glass shattering. <laughs> oh, yeah. it just You just see the after effects through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back into their next panel. And everyone's just dusted. Everyone's just murked, bro. <laughs> They're all dead. He has no scratches on him, no nothing. It's... <laughs> It's hard almost supernatural. To you. You got a nine mil in your head. <laughs> True. It's super. It's almost supernatural how Frank can do what he does and not get a scratch on him. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's otherworldly and sometimes a bit scary. But that's one just thing, one thing we do have to talk about is uh, the Daredevil versus Punisher that they did on the Netflix adaptation in Daredevil season two. I oh yeah, loved that like. You know, after reading this comic, you look at that and you're like, you know, their interactions, it felt like it came from this, you know? I agree. Like, whenever in the show, whenever, you know, Daredevil, or was it, I think it was Punisher that was tied up on the rooftop and Daredevil was talking to him. Or, no, it was Daredevil. No, it was Daredevil tied up to him and he, uh, that's uh, where Frank had a, had a revolver taped to his, his hand. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, it was essentially in the comic. What was happening is that Frank was going to kill somebody Mm -hmm. and he was, he had a sniper rifle lined up and he's like, look, I'm either going to take this shot or you're going to take that shot to stop me. Yeah. So he was, he was forcing Matt to make, he was forcing daredevil to make a decision to make a call. Like, are you going to let another life die? Are you going to stop? me from taking a life by taking a life because mm-hmm. that's how the world works sometimes sometimes if you're put in that impossible situation mm-hmm. what do you do how will you bend because that goes against daredevil's complete moral fiber mm-hmm. and it was just such a it's such a good dynamic to see that was amazing. It, it, and like it really feels like they they just took the character straight from the comics and made that interaction exactly how it would have been in the comics which is amazing Oh yeah, John Berthall and Charlie Cox really just it, they took that comic and brought it to life mm-hmm. as far as characters go. Charlie Cox is honestly just he I loved Ben Affleck's Daredevil look, don't get me wrong, is one I grew up on, so I knew like, hey, Ben Affleck, you're Daredevil. I know you do. Don't don't you try to play Batman, even though you did a really good Batman. He did a but really you're, Batman, you're but all right. <laughs> but you're you're still Daredevil. You're still Daredevil to me. Mm-hmm. But seeing him seeing Charlie Cox take on, take on daredevil, take on more instead of just like an action hero, he takes on more of an emotional role combined with an action star, which mm-hmm. is a very hard combination to pull off, and at the same which time, I think also have a lot more character development because it's a whole TV show. Whereas, you know, oh, yeah. Affleck had a movie. Yeah. And a full multi-season TV show too, to develop this character. Mm-hmm. And then John Berthold. <laughs> I can't say enough about John Berthold's Punisher. I am an avid, huge fan of John Berthold's Punisher. I love Thomas Jane. I love him as the Punisher. He was who I grew up with knowing as the Punisher. And like when I think of Punisher in my head, I think of Thomas Jane's voice, like his voice for Frank. So well. Oh, my God, did it. It was just perfect. So when I first started watching, uh, whenever Punisher first appeared on Daredevil season two and John Berthold did that like almost drill sergeant 
like harsh yell. Oh yeah. At first, I was like, because uh, I, I was used to the Thomas Jane Daredevil, or not Daredevil, but Punisher. Sorry. So I, I was used to the Thomas Jane Punisher, where he was just that cool, collected voice, you know. Yep. But honestly, like the drill sergeant yell kind of grew on me, especially once the Punisher show came out and he had the two seasons from that. Oh my God. The season finale of season one, where he really just lets that animalistic side of him just go ape shit crazy when he gets stabbed with the adrenaline. Like, I'm not going to say spoilers for people who may not know. I'm not going to spoil the, like the highlight of Punisher's cinematic world like it was just this the emotion and the rage and just the overall satisfaction of like fucking finally yeah, you know it was oh my show. god it was so good it was just such a it was such a good sequence so well done like i'd have to say my two favorite fight scenes that were included about punisher and we'll get back to the comic i promise guys but <laughs> my two favorite fight scenes from that show were probably between the prison scene where he's in the white uniform and he's unarmed, and he just takes everybody down. And then my second favorite fight scene was probably... God, and I'm saying this, and I'm thinking of the other fight scenes that I really love too, and it's hard to pin it down, you know? But if I had to say my second fight scene was in season two at the beginning where he's in the bar, and there's just that huge bar fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved that scene. Okay, look, I'm I'm going to be a bit controversial on that one because the season two scene where he has to fight those people in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. That, I, like, I love that. Dude, it was the fact that it's like, okay, you want equality? A Punisher gives equal lefts and rights, my dude. He doesn't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, he's not he's not going to beat up these these women, like, regardless it's if they're going to. Oh, no, he, he killed them. So he, he dodges a knife, dodges a knife, and they just. Like, Bro. oh, damn, he just starts laying <laughs> into because, because classically, like in, you know, superhero movies, when a girl comes up with like a knife or something, usually the hero takes them down in a way that doesn't really hurt them too bad. Right. Oh, no, no he murders them. No, Daredevil. <laughs> Bro, I swear to God, the tip of her nose touched the back of her skull. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, that's another thing I love about John Berthold's Punisher is that when he throws punches, dude, they're square on the nose, too. They're square on the nose. Bro. Oh my god, yeah. It, it definitely like how translates. Always the environment around him while he's fighting. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it it was just so good. <laughs> I will say that's probably one of my favorites uh for I'm saying this and I just got a flash of like the gym scene where he just walks in and beats the shit out of all these huge ass Russian heavy lifts. Dude, he straight up beats <laughs> the shit out of Mean Green Keith Jardine, one of the like UFC light heavyweight legends and yeah. it's like <laughs> I was like, oh, damn, he's going to beat the shit out of him. And then it's like, oh, Jardine's kicking his ass. He grabs a little 2.5 weight and just starts, boom, boom. Like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Leans back up. Half his face is cut out. And I'm like, oh, oh. And he goes down. And I'm like, bro, that shit hurted. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't help but sympathize for that motherfucker's hospital bills. Oh, if he fucking lived. That's like, my saying, God. He got fucked. Absolutely. And hey, like, even going into this comic, a lot of the fights between Punisher and Daredevil, both of them boys did not walk away from that with just a scrape. No. Man, they both Daredevil, Daredevil laid into Punisher yeah. hard. And I don't want to, okay, so I don't want to, like, nitpick or anything, but in the first fight, 
fucking Daredevil's just like in in the comic in the very first fight at the beginning when he has that sniper aimed at Hammerhead. Uh, Daredevil goes ham on Punisher. Like he's just beating the shit out of him, jumping around, doing flips, kicking, all sorts of stuff. And Punisher just gets this one moment of opportunity and just fucking decks him in the face. I just want to point out that or Daredevil was definitely down for the count for at least fifteen seconds after that. Oh, one, for sure. After that one Mack truck of a fucking hit to the face. <laughs> oh yeah, and you can honestly look and tell like the difference between the two. Like Daredevil's landing all these flashy punches and yeah, spins and kicks and all that, but then you look at like you really take a look at you know Frank and being the Punisher, and he is just. He's just brute, just built like a Mack truck kind of guy. And one punch lays him back hard. And it's yeah, like, that's how it's supposed to be. And like, you can it's see how it's supposed to be on the ground for a second before he collects himself and gets back up. Oh, yeah. No, he slumped him hard and he had to get up like, oh, fuck, man. He had to wobble that one off tomorrow. <laughs> oh, for sure. And like. Man, I can't wait till we get into the second half where they have their final fight with oh, one another. Because they, they actually, when they actually start going ham, oh yeah, oh yeah, no that one. Oh my goodness, that's a good one. But so we'll we'll be getting into that one later. Back on this one because I feel like he would just love this comic book. <laughs> I think so. I think he would really enjoy the second half where they really are just going, you know, one v one to the death kind of shit. Because that was a very big highlight of this comic. Yeah, it was but so good. So I, I definitely would say I was I was actually pleasantly surprised to see, you know, Hammerhead be highlighted in this and all that. And because I mean, Hammerhead's he's another always been, he's always been like a distant second to the Kingpin. So I wasn't really surprised when they threw him as the rising. Uh, yeah, I just as a spider, I'm an avid Spider-Man reader from back in the day. And Hammerhead was mentioned every now and again. Hammerhead but he was wasn't more of a black no or Spider-Man noir. I almost said black. Noir. Yeah, too much. The boys. <laughs> yeah no that, that's that's true <laughs> true i i agree with that and i it was nice to see him get a little more spotlight and him be front and center and be kind of like the it, daredevil straight up breaks into his crib just like busts up in there dude's got guns at his head but he's like you haven't done anything to me I was expecting, I, he's like, I let you in here. Yeah. He's like, you didn't break in here. I let you in here. If I wanted you dead, some bitch, you would have died. Has that mafia Don bravado. <laughs> oh, for sure. He's a badass and he knows it. So it's like, why not flaunt it if you got it, man? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fucking for sure, man. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Oh, no, I enjoyed definitely. the fuck out of this one. And... Compared to the last comic we read, this is a more recent comic. It came out February 1st, 2006. Not quite as old as the Spider-Man comic that we reviewed on our last episode. But, I don't know. Like I, I feel like it, it, it just had that touch of what amazing stories Marvel can write in their comics. Mm -hmm. and I still think that it's fresh enough into the older stuff mm -hmm. that it still carries the weight of those older worlds that have been built. Yeah, no, for sure, man, for sure. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I really love this story. Like it's hard not to give this one a 10 out of 10. Like it's difficult to try and find something that made this bad. Like for me, it just, it felt great. Like you could see the dynamic, the, the total opposites in the way that they think of each other and just every, I can agree. It, it, to me, it just felt amazing. I agree. And, um, 
I'm I, I'm I'm gonna be a little bit different on this one, and I'm gonna be giving it probably an eight. Uh, the only reason is because for me personally, I like the darker, grittier Punisher that we see in the see, you, early you, you in the later that, comics. You said that, but like, I feel like this Punisher was the right amount of dark and gritty. Like he wasn't overly dark or anything. Like he he's not as dark as you know John Bernthal's presentation of it, obviously, mm-hmm. but. I still feel like he had it down pretty good. I agree. And like, it's, it's, it's the spandex suits. It just, it's very super. Yeah. It's very superhero esque. And I'm not saying that that is a, a inherently bad thing. I think opinionatively it can be good or bad. And body armor version. I prefer the body armor and the t-shirt because that means that motherfucker's in there and he is ready to die. He does not care. And if you can hit him, you better hit him where it counts. Otherwise you ain't doing nothing. Hell no. And to me, I think that's impressive. Definitely taking you down as he goes down. (laughs) Same. I think that's impressive as shit. And I think that's intense as hell. And the same thing with like later issues of daredevil where he starts getting less spandexy and more, you know, tactical where he has like, you know, elbow pads, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And then we get like the later renditionings of Daredevil where he's not in spandex and he starts getting into a little more, you know, actual clothing for what he's trying to do, where it's not just form fitting spandex and more along like I have some, you know, you know, actual ninja gear on that is keeping me protected. And I have nothing against those older comics, they paved the way for the future and they will always hold a special place in my heart because I remember them so fondly in seeing Punisher like that. I was just like, Oh man, that's kind of refreshing. <laughs> I haven't seen him in those kind of, in that style in a while. Uh, but the story wise story is fantastic. The drawings, they're definitely for its era, which is Oh six. It, it feels like Oh six. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing against it. It feels good. Story is great. Just the character spandex thing. It's just something that'll always just kind of be like a thing for me. That's like, eh, it's just, it's cheesy, but it's a good cheesy. I don't hate it. I'm not the hugest fan of it, but I don't hate it by any means. Yeah. This comic so far is honestly just great. And I think an eight to an eight and a half is like, honestly, a good, a good, a good spot for me. I could agree with that. Cause I, I can understand where you're coming from. You know, you like the darker grittier and yeah, the spandex just kind of throw them off, but Originally, Punisher was a spandex type of anti-hero. Oh, yeah. His but, first his first entry was spandex. But once, but once you bring it up, I mean, I, I do got to agree. I definitely prefer the, the T-shirt with the body armor and the trench coat. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, tr- the trench coat is really just it's it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's got us good for this episode. Uh, I, had, I had a lot of fun with this one. Kind oh, of a, absolutely. Kind of a bad movie. But uh, definitely a solid comic to round it out. I think so. I think we had a, our, we gave ourselves a low to start, and we finished on a high with a good, a good solid comic to end on, which is something that I I think is a good a good little roller coaster of a show for us today. And I just want to give you a good congratulations, bro. I know this is your only your second episode on our podcast, and I say our because this is yours too. This is your baby too. You are here. This is your stuff too, man. I just want to give you like a solid congratulations because unfortunately Cameron couldn't be with us on this episode and you handled the reins for the kaiju aspect of this podcast flawlessly. Like it was amazing. Good job, man. Well, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I, I thank you guys for letting me come on here. I also still want to give another shout out to TJ and Project Louder and the fam for letting me be able to be a part of the crew. This truly is 
something that I love to do. And I've really never, I've never really known where to put my foot in, you know, to start. And if it wasn't for TJ and you guys and the Project Louder team for letting me be able to come on, I would have never found my foothold. And I thank you guys for letting me be able to have that foothold to come in. Like, did I ever tell you the story of how me and TJ met? I have never heard it. Bro, we were, (laughs) we were playing Star Wars Battlefront 2 and we just happened to like get in this party chat on this, uh, group that was like about star wars fandom and stuff like that and like we were talking and he was saying like how he how like he had this little podcast network that he was growing at the time because this was like i think a year or two ago yeah i think i think it was like two years ago and uh he said he was just talking to me about this podcast group that he had and that he was growing and stuff like that and you know we got to play in star wars and like you know added each other on playstation and just kept playing and stuff like that and you know he was like hey I really want you to join us. Like, you seem like you know what you're talking about. You seem like you have a passion for just all this nerd stuff, you know? <laughs> and I was like, bro, I, I fucking love this stuff. Like, any reason to talk about it, I got you. And believe it or not, bro, I was in the same exact shoes where you were. I was like, I have no idea where I'm going to go with this. Uh, I really do owe this all to TJ as well. So I definitely see where you're coming from, man. Oh, for sure. Like, it, it honestly, this has been an absolute blast, guys. It's been fun. It's been giving me a chance to read more, read more comics, giving me a chance to rewatch these kaiju movies that I know and love, and it, being able to share my opinions with you guys and just kind of have this, you know, platform to talk about it and have everyone kind of give their two cents about it and just kind of have a chit chat about general all things that we all enjoy and love to talk about and being able to find like-minded people that share a same form of passion and a same form of likeness. It's the same principle as like why you mosh pit at a concert. It's, it's literally a giant venue full of people that are there to enjoy the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, I could not, I I couldn't be any more grateful guys. I I truly appreciate it. And I'm so proud to be a part of this group. No, man. Pleasure's all ours. Trust me. On that note, uh, it's about time to wrap this episode up. This is your host, Quarter J, signing out. This is your co-host for the evening, Austin. Thanks again, guys. Going to be signing out for you, and hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.